On the Sale Control Podcast, we look into the latest tech news and businesses, looking for any unique insights or unmet opportunities. All right, Johnny, let's get right into our main topic. There wasn't that much to talk about in news of the week. So, Johnny, we're talking about Charlie Munger, a fresh change of pace from the hype investors we've been talking about, who you always see on CSNBC and CNN and everything else all the time. We have the opposite here. We have something where CSNBC and MSNBC and all those other companies or all those other news outlets, quote unquote, Need to go and yes, need to go and get them. They need to schedule. They get like one interview with Munger a year, maybe at most. Because he's a busy man with many interests. Busy man, he is in fact a busy man. So, let's talk about a few things about Charlie Munger. First off, who is he? Why is he so influential? Why do we consider him a tech investor specifically? What is his investing philosophy? And finally, in this Investor in Tech series, whether or not we think that his style is one that we think can translate to the retail investor. So, Johnny, you've looked at his life story. You've looked at uh, Mr. Mr. Munger's journey. Tell me a little bit about who he is and why he's so influential. All right. So, Munger. Munger is well known as Buffett's Closest partner. Actually, Buffett has said that he is his right-hand man. But mm-hmm. Munger himself has a very interesting story. So, uh, again, known as Buffett's partner, he is the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, which is a conglomerate controlled by Warren Buffett. But in terms of his own story, he dropped out of college to join the U.S. Army Corps, uh, where he became the second lieutenant. I think and another... Even before the army, real quick, to point out part of his story, he was a child of the Great Depression. Uh, He was stocking shelves at around 13 for $2 a day for seven, eight hours a day when he was a kid. And as he describes it, no one, no one really knows just how bad, no one of the modern day, if if you will, just knows how bad it really was growing up in the Great Depression. Uh, yeah, he dropped out of college. And afterwards, he applied. You know, after uh, his stint in the Army, he studied meteorology. He took a bunch of courses thanks to the GI Bill. And then he applied to his father's alma mater, Harvard Law School. And he was initially rejected because he doesn't have a college degree. But, you know, uh, connections. The former dean of Harvard Law, uh, you know, called in and got him to go in and who was also a Munger family friend. Mm-hmm. What's interesting was that he developed an important skill in college and the army, which was card playing. I thought this might mm-hmm. actually speak to some of his gambling, you say. No, no, no. He's not a gambler. He's not a gambler. Ah, hear, okay. the, hear me out. Hear me out. There's, there's some non-gambling advice here. Which This is his quote. What you have to learn is to fold early when the odds are against you. Or if you have a big edge, back it heavily because you don't get a big edge often. Opportunity comes, but it doesn't come often. So seize it when it comes. So you're saying he was a bad card player. 
This sounds like Maybe. the lesson of a bad card player. It's a good lesson. This is this is not exactly how poker is. Anyways, all right. So I, yes. I'm not much of a poker player, but yes, so yes that Johnny. Was his, so yes, Johnny. What is this? What but, what what happened more with this hardworking, depression yes. era, growing up, uh, practicing lawyer, which didn't make a whole bunch of money back then, and no. card playing gambler. Yes. Yeah, you can see that he has quite a variety of interests. He's uh, the anti-Tiger Woods. Yes, and yes, correct. He has spread his eggs in multiple baskets. Yes, uh, well, actually, that way he would be Tiger Woods. But uh, I meant that he is the anti-focused on only one thing since he was a child. He's not a specialist by any means. All right, anyways, career-wise, he worked as a lawyer before going on to become a real estate investor and finally uh, investor in the stock market. Uh, he did run uh, an investment partnership of his own from 1962 to 1975. Uh, Buffett, uh, Buffett released an essay in 1984 where he mentioned that Munger's investment partnership generated compound annual returns of 19.8% during the 1962 to 1975 period, compared to the 5% annual appreciation rate of the Dow. So he was clearly a capable investor he did end up shutting it down after 1973 1974 he had uh losses of 30 percent uh but which he recovered before shutting down his investment and later becoming involved with uh, buffett but yes if uh, you know overall he's a billionaire investor he's a businessman uh architectural designer and philanthropist he actually designed the 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 residence that michael would have loved to to to, to have lived in during grad school they had air conditioning. Yes, yes. Munger had air conditioning. That was that hey, no one else that, did. That was that, that was has a become game changer. More, that has become more and more important, especially over this past summer in the Northeast. What do you mean this past this past summer? I could have used it back when I was going to school. It's like most most important anyways. But further than that, let's go a little bit into his investment style and philosophy right now. Charlie Munger is all about cash flow, Johnny. So, yep. unlike these hype stocks that Kathy Wood and others will invest in that have zero cash flow, negative cash flow, will never have cash flow, are basically just throwing away They're growing. Money. They're growing, Michael. It's an yeah, Amazon, Amazon blueprint that doesn't work Name another everybody. Amazon. Uh, AWS. That's the same company, Johnny. I know. I'm being facetious. Yes. Yes. I can name you, I can name you 50 that all went downhill during the tech.com boom. But anyways, he believes that over time, the value of a company matches and is will be in line with your cash flow, with your profit, with how much money you get brought in. Over a period of time, logic and sensibilities do win out. And if your company doesn't make a single cent of money and just loses money, it can't hold on to a bull run forever. Likewise, if your company just keeps improving cash flow, keeps improving its profits and margins year over year over year over year, eventually its value will hold out. So what did that have to do with both him as a basically a precursor to hedge fund investing and what they do now in terms of his influence on Buffett? So Buffett, before meeting Munger, was really a, uh, what was I about to say, he was a student of Bill of Bill Graham? 
I forget Bill Graham's Graham. first name. Yes, Bill Graham. So before Buffett met Munger, he was a student of Bill Graham. They had that one last puff uh, technique slash, uh, slash oh, way yeah. of investing. The cigarette butt. Yes, there we cigarette go. Cigarette butt you find on the street. And Munger just basically claimed, he's like, yeah, this doesn't scale. And it's like, this does not scale. What instead you have to go to, just as I tell Johnny now, it's about value. It's about cash flow. It's about value of the company. Fundamentally, that changed and that helped uh, Berkshire Hathaway really scale out. And then they bought, what was it, Blue Stamps and a whole bunch of other companies that went there. And there's plenty of documentaries to talk about that. But I think the main key thing that we want to talk about in terms of Charlie Munger's investment style, one, cash flow, two, value. Over time, companies and their stock prices and the valuations of companies will match or will be more in line with the actual revenue and money they're bringing in. Yes. The other the other side I'd like to add to this Unlike is Pinterest, something... Johnny, that has a 200 P. Listen, we're, we're comparing who's going to do well in a year, okay? Let's okay. take some bets. Let's take uh-huh. some risks. But uh-huh. I will be updating since our embargo on our trades will be lifted next week. I'll be making some changes to my portfolio. But before uh-huh. that, before that, what I wanted to add to what you were saying was that something we covered before, which was um, you want to ideally have some, you said this, right? You want to ideally have 10 stocks. And so one of Munger's investment strategies beliefs is that holding a concentrated number of stocks that he knows extremely well will in the long term produce superior returns. Yes. Now, speaking of that, Johnny, we've been talking about Charlie Munger and we could talk about Charlie Munger a lot, but we're a tech podcast, Johnny. Why are we talking about Berkshire Hathaway's vice chairman, Charlie Munger? Berkshire doesn't, if Berkshire holds Apple, but Berkshire is not a big tech investor. They're, they're a conglomerate that owns things like Geico, Seas Candy, things like that. They're more insurance than anything else. So why, why is Munger, why are we talking about Charlie? All right, my first response would be, you can't have an investing series and not talk to, about some of the legends of investing. But on a more relevant part, he is a big believer of Alibaba. Alibaba yes. is one of the five companies that he holds onto through his daily journal. So the just so that we're on the or same his, page, his his overall portfolio. But yes, yes. Um, it, oh yeah. So did, yeah. So Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Alibaba, U.S. Bank Corp, and Posca. Or the, what the other one is. But yes, he Posca is a Posca is a Korean or Japanese steel uh, company. Yeah, and so it's his third uh, most held company for in this um, in this portfolio. He holds about thirty-seven million dollars worth of Alibaba stock. He's been a basically big believer. It's, basically, it's it all finances. Year. It's all finances, and then Baba and Posco. But basically, all finances, and he holds somewhere around thirty-seven million dollars worth of Alibaba. And he is a gigantic fan of how the Chinese government has been applying their own style of capitalism. There's, there's a story where he described it once best. He says a whole bunch of communists back in the 80s and 90s were poor as heck, and they saw Singapore, and they saw the countries that were doing it. They were like, you know what? Screw this old model that we have, and let's put capitalism into communism. And now we have the, you know, the Eastern Best flavor of uh, you know, there's there's an argument of whether or not it is truly the best of both worlds, but at the very least, it's been I mean, working thus far. 
in these in these regions. And Charlie Munger recently spoke at the investors meeting about Chinese regulations. And he more or less just said, hey, uh, I believe in the Chinese government and their handling of their own economy. He believes in it in some ways more than the American, uh, what was about to say, the American government's handling of our economy. So he's still a big backer of, of China in general, and he's a big backer of Alibaba. Yes, and hence, you know, Alibaba being a technology company, right? Uh, in some ways, the, the Chinese equivalent of like an Amazon, eBay, mm -hmm. PayPal, and a few other companies is why we're talking about uh, Munger, as well as oh, but Michael being a big fan. Oh, but there's more than that, Johnny. There's Which more than is, that. I, I would say I liken to, he is like what I, uh, my role, a part of my role on this show, which is... Part of your role. Yeah, which is brutally shooting down certain things that I think are stupid. So, let's talk about Charlie Munger's opinions on two things that I often talk about as well. First, Which are related to investing. Yes, yes. Okay. So first, Bitcoin. I believe... These are the words that Charlie Munger has used to describe people who invest in Bitcoin. Uh, idiots, stupid, stupid idiots, uh, throwing money away, uneducated, uninformed, and stupid. Did I mention stupid? Yeah, he, he also refers to Bitcoin as noxious poison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, Robin. Uh, likewise, Robin. Likewise. He is no fan of another company of which I am no fan of. And that being Robinhood or your investment in the hood over there, where he yes. likens the app to gambling. He likens it to racetrack betting. He says it's a terrible product. He says it's not an investing product. And you know what? It is. He is completely right in all of those things. So this is another reason why we're talking about him, because he says all the things that I believe in, Johnny. Except he's much more credible than I am. So there. Boom. <laughs> okay, Michael. All right. Uh -huh. But yes. So he's he's not a fan of the cryptocurrencies. He's incredibly... Uh, so, uh, uh, let me, they, they call him the less politically correct one of the group. Yes. Of the two between Buffett, you mean. Question for you is, is this... So yes, there's a Bitcoin of the currency type, but we've seen the rise in NFTs, Ethereum is powering that. There's lots of other applications. Some very smart people are looking at different ways to apply the technology that, that underpins cryptocurrencies, right? Is this a example of him not understanding? Because for a long time, right, as we noted, right, Berkshire Hathaway never invested in tech until they invested in Apple several years ago, right? Uh, so tech is still new to them. So is this just... What, is this really just him not knowing enough about Bitcoin or the Johnny, cryptocurrency name, as a whole? Name me a value-adding application of Bitcoin. Made a few people rich. Name a value-adding. They're, they're going to take, take that money and fund some right. schools and some hospitals. Okay, okay, what's the cash flow? I don't have a clue. What's a, what's a country that uses Bitcoin as their main, uh, what was I about to say, as oh, their main uh, currency? I don't think they use Bitcoin. Okay. Uh, so Ethereum, right? That's actually being used for exchange and everything. Uh, whereas NFTs. they say, well, it, it, yes, but it's also the, the, the one that's more actually being used as a value exchange versus a, a gold hoard. 
Oh, yes, yes, correct. That's correct. Yep. Ethereum has a lot more applications. It's more, seems yeah. to be more diverse in that regard. Yeah, you know with, uh, what I was about to say, you know with gold, we never had a problem where we couldn't spend it. We know enough about crypto. We know enough about gold. These are not overly complicated things. Everyone who says it's too complicated, it's overly complicated, it's still new, it's new technology. Okay, show me how it's new. Show me exactly how it's new. Because encryption has existed for years. Proof of work is a concept that came out in the 1980s. And gold is one of the only materials in this entire world that if we reset humanity, gold we'd still choose as our currency material of choice. So what don't anyone know about crypto and or gold? People have been spending money for years. Talk about de oh, it's a deregulated space. What is now happening? Regulation is coming to Bitcoin. Regulation is coming to cryptocurrencies. So earlier this year in their uh, call, their uh, annual Q&A of Berkshire Hathaway, I just want to raise what he says about Bit about Bitcoin. So when they were asked, uh, do they still consider cryptos as worthless artificial gold? Munger waved, waded in and he said that, I hate the Bitcoin success and I don't welcome a currency that is so useful for kidnappers in our stores and so forth. <clears throat> Nor do I like just shuffling out a few extra billions and billions and billions of dollars, somebody who just invented a new financial product out of thin air. Um, that he, he finds a whole damn development is disgusting and contrary to the interests of civilization. And I leave the criticism to others. So, Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, what was yes. about to say, he's more harsh than I am. Yes. But also, the other part, as I was continuing to, as I did my research with him, is that, for example, he made a comment on the financial crisis of 2007, 2008. And his whole thing is he has a high, he's known for his high standard of ethics. And so he took issue with the fact that you don't create a loan system where people who make the loans then dump them on somebody else through his phrase of lies and twiddle. And they don't bear the responsibility when the loans are good or bad, right? And that is part of or the main, one of the main reasons that we ended up in our, the financial crisis of 2007, 2008, right? Uh, he believes that this is a, a moral and irresponsible system. So this is one of his characteristics, and I think you can kind of see that in his, how his uh, perspective on Bitcoin and the, the currency space. And Robinhood. Yes, and, and Robin, well, yes, AKA Robinhood. AKA, yes, AKA to gambling. child gambling. Yep. Yes. It's like at least DraftKings doesn't, uh, what's it called? Doesn't disguise itself as what it is. Yeah, that's true. Gambling. Gambling mm -hmm. all the way through. Related to our current ongoing investment portfolio challenge, this speaks to something, which is that you're using a Robinhood, right? It prompts you to, to trade, right? And the more you trade, regardless of whether you win or you lose, Robinhood benefits, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because they're able to sell that order flow. But people who spend more time trading, right? What is it, the, 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 the number that keeps getting thrown around? 80% of day traders actually lose money. And so touching back to our portfolio, right? It's interesting to see if the more time we spent catering to it or the more we just have set it up and leave it to see what the end results are. I know it's so early days, so maybe as we go through this year and the end of next year, at the end of our we challenge, it'll be interesting to see that. Which we challenge? chose the wrong. Oh, what's it called? We chose the wrong stocks. If that's if that is the goal, is just to leave it. Oh yeah, but that's that's. I'm I'm highlighting that there's different approaches, right? And how it relates to um, Munger's advice of just invest in small, concentrated number of stocks and hold them over the longer term. 
Mm -hmm. right? Don't trade on a daily, weekly basis. Just if you believe in it, you've done your research, and you believe that this is a company that has value, you want to hold it for the long term. Well, Johnny, now so, you're getting into the our final topic for this show, which is, do we believe that Charlie Munger's investment style is one, first off, do you believe in it? And two, do you think it's one that the retail investor should apply? And again, this is where I always put my say in terms of we are not a financial podcast, nor are we certified financial advisors. Always talk to a certified financial advisor or accountant before making critical financial decisions. Now, Johnny. Hey, not us. Yes. Listen to us and go do something. Johnny, value investing, having a small portfolio. What are your I thoughts? I, I would be remiss to ignore the, the, the rants you've been giving me the past. How many weeks have we been doing this? Two months? Almost two months? We started our investments in July. Yes. Almost two months of ranting you've been giving me around investment value investing. So here's here's my here's here here's my two cents of how I approach all this advice uh, or fake advice because we're not financial advisors. This is a this is a learning journey, right? Everyone's got to have some level of experiment just to figure out what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Uh, that's why you know early in the IPO, like yes, you could. Coming back to Munger. Yes, obviously numbers don't lie, right? As we like to say, uh, Munger's success is there. It's clear. Berkshire Hathaway, he was a, an important element of that success. His success is there for you to follow, right? And if anything, actually, I want to highlight this, this uh, thing, right? Charlie's actually a really good role model because he came from a different background career completely, right? Versus a Buffett who's been investing since he was a kid. Right. Yep. And, and so I do want to, to I do want to call out, yes, people here, lawyer, father, attorneys didn't make money back then. I'm not saying they're broke, but no. the dude, but in the crash, the dude stocked shelves as a kid because his entire family had to work because no one was making any money. Attorneys were not the path to wealth back then. Oh. And that's why uh, part of his motivation for getting into investing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's worth $2 billion. He's given so much money away, right, to so many different schools, so many different charities, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, yeah, but coming back to, to the question, I, yes, I believe he is a role model for the retail investor, and you can use his strategy. Just have to do your homework, not just pick meme stocks. Yeah, I'm going to go more blunt with it as I, I am now fully embracing being the Charlie Munger of the show. I will say this would be my advice in terms of investment strategies. How long you want to live? Over a long period of time, it's not even a debate. It's not a question. It's not an argument. There is no argument. The argument is over. Over a long period of time, buying stocks under or around their intrinsic value in line with cash flow, in line with profit, in line with the idea that it's a company that will grow not just by hype, but that it's actually a solid company with solid financials growing over time. That is not the most, the only successful way, and it's been proven time and time again, this is not an argument, to beat the market or actually even to succeed in the long run. I think what we're both saying here, Michael, is that Charlie Munger is a role model for real, real retail investors mm -hmm. and that he is, again, men lie, women lie, but numbers don't. 
And Charlie Munger's uh, performance on the stock market is admirable, his career. And he is someone whose uh, investment strategy is one we would aspire to emulate and start applying in our own investments. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Speak now. Speaking of our own investments, let's take a look at the portfolio check before we head out. So, Johnny, how was your portfolio this week? This was a week good week, almost, I think, in the market overall. Good week. On before the storm. Ah, uh, yes. So, my portfolio. Uh, I'm up 6% this week. Uh, I discovered that Yahoo Finance does an awesome job on doing all this stuff for me, except it doesn't do weekly gains. It tells me the total and it tells me the daily. That's not very helpful for the show. So... Uh, but weekly, so you had I'm to do addition. So you had to do addition, is what you're telling no, me. No, I had to create. I had to update my own and, chart. And I was getting rid of it. Yeah, I, oh, the average. That's just Excel. Mm-hmm. Equal average. Oops. It isn't. Uh, isn't literally everything just Excel? Yes, but you know. Yeah. Now I need, just need to figure out a way. So to, you took to the link you Yahoo took Friday. To Excel. You took Friday minus Monday or minus last Friday. Last Friday, and then Friday, divide Friday. by your and divide by your initial of last yeah. Friday, and that's your percent change. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, the math is not hard. I just wish that mm-hmm. Yahoo just did it built in, then I don't have to do it myself. I they really don't. I they really don't have a weekly. No, they really don't. Yeah. I'm, tr- I'm messing with their view, but they really they actually don't have a weekly. But huh. I get a daily gain and a total gain. Hmm. But anyways. Which is not helpful for the reporting of this of this part of the show. So, Michael, how is your portfolio doing? I think everything is up, it seems. Basically, I wouldn't say everything turned around. Uh, BMY is still down. Roku, of course, still down. And the things that went up a lot, DraftKings went up some 15%. I think Okta went up some 11%. What else? I'm just looking through this list a little bit. Unity, I think, went up... Let's see, in the over the past five days. Oh, you know, Unity didn't go up that much. My biggest gain so far has been from Bill.com. I've actually gained over a dollar from that one. Very They're nice, up 35% nice. this past week. I think they just, one of the days you just went straight up, and they've actually thankfully kept it. Um, the other ones that did well this week were, who's the other double digits? Silvergate went up 13%. And then the next one is Snowflake is up 11%. Very nice. And as Johnny said, we will be unlocked to trade again after our episode next week. And when we say trade again, we mean look back at any of the, we'd be open to look at any of the rest of the ARC funds again. We've been yes. limited to only the, the companies we've invested in and the companies that are on our watch list. All right. Then. So with that, you've been listening to another episode of the Silicon Trail podcast. Have a wonderful week and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening.